Evil to the right hand, puts Herb down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. Warrior. All right, guys, what's going on? Welcome. Hockey to hell and back. Episode number 31. I'm Brady Liebel coming at you guys from Gravenhurst, Ontario. We got new tukes here at Puck Support. Check it out, pucksupport.com. You're supporting mental health and addiction in the hockey community. We're very grateful for everybody that's been along for the ride. There's seriously no words. I got my old logo on because it's the only pink one I have. It's anti-bullying day today. And I just had a a little encounter with a bully that's bullying my girlfriend Taylor on social media. We're all about stopping bullying. We're standing with the the pink shirt day. I got zero time for bullies. I got zero time for bullies. Quick backstory. Taylor and I are looking for a place up here in Muskoka. 
and somebody took it upon themselves to post something about Taylor's past on the Muskoka rental connection. Like we're already not having a hard enough time finding a place to live. And I went on stuck up for her. And that's why we're not live on Facebook. This girl reported my post because I said she was acting like a piece of trash. Now I'm not allowed on Facebook for 24 hours. She proceeded to send Taylor some nasty messages and uh, I'm not really sure why. So if you're out there and you're being, you know, bullied by anybody or especially if you're a bully, if you're a bully, check yourself. Seriously, check yourself because the impact that you can have on somebody else's life, uh, it's extremely far reaching. And uh, Taylor and I aren't going to let this get to us. We're on we're on the rise. I mean, she she went through her own issues. Nothing compared to mine, honestly. And there's people out there still hating on us. We got no time for that. But I did want to just touch on this. Even before this happened, I was going to touch on it. So if you're being bullied, reach out to me. I'll, I'll gladly talk to you and I'll gladly talk to the bully in the right manner. We've had to deal with a couple on Instagram already and we do it the most professional way. Uh, and sometimes kids need to be talked to and shown the right way. Everybody makes mistakes. Moving on. Moving on. We're going to get into some new sponsorships. We announced the last last episode, one we're very proud to be a part of. We don't have the voiceover for the two new partnerships yet, but they're coming very soon. So it'll just be me and my, what I think is not a very good voice. So I'll do my best. Proudly brought to you by Pride Tape. PrideTape.com. You can check them out on social media at Pride Tape. This is for everybody in sports. This shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love, that we're all on the same team. Buying Pride Tape will help support the LGBTQ youth outreach initiatives such as You Can Play and the Institute for Sexual Minority Studies and Services. That means every roll of Pride Tape will make an impact in sports and beyond be an ally show your support for teammates coaches and fans in the lgbtq community by wrapping your stick with pride tape that's what it's all about i got mine on the way guys and uh, i made a promise to curtis gabriel uh, and the entire hockey community that from now on on my stick on the knob there will always be pride tape i have friends who are openly gay i have met kids who are openly gay and and it's honestly it's humbling to be a part of it. And I think we can all do our part. We're, it's all about showing love. We're all equal. We're all the same. We're all just trying to get through life. So support Pride Tape at Pride Tape. And I'm very happy to announce a partnership with Performance Wellness. If you saw episode 29 with James Gardner and Matthew Arnone, I was calling him Matthew Arnon for the first half of the episode. We had to get that right. They were incredible. They have a new program, Performance Wellness. The collaboration between First Star Therapy and MindFrame brings a flexible, holistic program to athletes. The goal is to enable, empower, and enhance each athlete's well-being on and off the field of play through a focus of intentful movement and mindful practices. You guys can email them, consult at firststartherapy.com or team at mindframe.info. I'll have all the links in the description below after the episode. The final sponsorship, they've been with us since episode four, Jesse Paradise and Team Issued. Take it away, my favorite, Regan Bartell.
Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leopold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. TeamIssued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you, Regan. Such a great voice. I got a, I got a, a few clips from my time with the Kelowna Rockets, and I love listening back to it. He gets very excited. He gets he gets awarded for it all the time. He's the best in the business. Shout out to Regan and Jesse from Team Issued. Check out teamissued.ca, guys. They got everything from hats to shirts, active wear, full sweatsuits, ladies' clothing. It's unbelievable. Half of my wardrobe is Team Issued. That's all. For the intro, thank you to all the partnerships. It's a very humbling uh, position that I'm in with everything that, that has gone on. And we're going to get into some pretty powerful stories. This is one that I'm very excited about. And uh, if you've seen the show, you know how this goes. We'll see you guys in a few minutes. I could have never imagined when I first launched my podcast that I would be hearing so many stories of addiction and mental health issues throughout the hockey world. The story is way too common, and unfortunately, often they've ended in tragedies. I'm reminded every single day while working here at Puck Support, personally putting the names of those we've lost on the merchandise before they go out the doors. I say it all the time, but I know how lucky I am. I know how grateful I am that I'm not only alive, but today I'm clean and sober. I've been trying to get my guest on the show since May 9th of last year. And that's not because he hasn't been willing. It's because early on in my recovery and still to this day, I've been having a little bit of trouble staying organized and on top of things. Lately though, I've been heading in a different direction, being more accountable not only to myself, but to others as well. Graham Bonner was born January 21st, 1966 in Mimico, Ontario. And Graham grew up being a hockey star, being drafted third overall to the Windsor Spitfires in the 1982 OHL Priority Selection Draft. Bonner broke into the OHL during the 82-83 season with the Spits. During his rookie season, he was recognized on the OHL all-scholastic team for his hard work hitting the books in school. He played 21 games the following season before being traded to the Sioux Greyhounds, where he really hit his stride. At the conclusion of the 83-84 season, after recording 54 points, Graham Bonner was drafted in the third round, 54th overall, by the Montreal Canadiens. His next season would be his best in the OHL, finishing with 137 points, including a league-leading 66 goals. He was recognized as an OHL first-team All-Star and was also a member of the OHL All-Star game. That same year, he played on the team with the legend Bob Probert. Bonner, Probert, and along with the likes of guys like Jeff Bukaboom, went on to win the OHL championship for the Sioux Greyhounds. He would wear the captaincy for the Sioux Greyhounds the following season, but would later be traded to the Peterborough Peets. Finishing the season with 93 points in just 56 games, 
His sights were set on making it to the big time and earn an entry-level contract with the Habs. Graham Bonner is a member of the prestigious 300 Club, 300 points in his major junior career, 148 goals, 176 assists, 324 points in just 257 games. Feeling confident heading out of junior, he was now ready to take on the big time. At the start of the 1986 season, after eight preseason games with the Habs, Graham Bonner was at the top of the list, leading the way in points. Just prior to the regular season starting, he was sidelined by a wrist and ankle injury that would derail his career forever. As is so often the case, after an injury as a rookie, you're sent down to the AHL to do some rehab. Shortly thereafter, he was told he was being called up by the big club, but first there was a game in Halifax. During this game, Bonner suffered a freak accident, severely damaging his Achilles tendon and ankle. Though there was multiple surgeries and a ton of treatment, his ankle never fully healed. And that would be the closest Graham Bonner would ever get to the NHL. Essentially on one good foot, Bonner continued to chase his dreams, but his foot was never the same. The constant pain in his ankle led him down an unfamiliar path, one that I'm very familiar with. His life was now fueled by alcohol and painkillers. He was once the top right winger in the entire country. Now on one good foot, becoming addicted, he started to let his life slip away. Facing life after hockey is one of the hardest things a hockey player will ever do. In fact, it can lead us even further into our addictions. For the next several years, Graham Bonner lived with a ton of resentment and fueled by his addiction. Bouncing around from minor league to minor league, not knowing which direction to head, he finally decided to get help in 1996. And this would turn out to be the best decision Graham Bonner would ever make. Shortly after becoming clean and sober, he headed back to school and received his degree as a social service worker. Moving from his life of addiction into the life of helping others and was recognized in 2008 as the winner of the CAMH Transforming Lives Award given to people with lived experience who help others suffering from addictions or mental illness. To me, this is the greatest award that Graham Bonner has ever won. This far surpasses any of his hockey accolades. And you have to remember, he was the OHL's leading goal scorer, a first-team All-Star, a member of the All-Star game, and an OHL champion. But for me, this one takes the cake. Bonner has worked at different treatment centers over the years, and in 2010, he became the case manager at Hope Places Centers, a men's live-in treatment facility in Milton, Ontario. The manager of programs and services, Trista Robertson, has gone on the record to say he is adored. He brings harmony to the workplace and that people stay there because of him, and they share that very openly. He has a way of connecting with people because he has passion. He has lived experience, and now he's using all of those life lessons through hockey and addiction to make the world he lives in a better place. I first reached out to Graham Bonner back on May 9th of last year, and finally we're able to do this, and I take full responsibility for that. I believe everything happens exactly when it's supposed to, and reading about Graham's story and getting to know him a little bit over the last year, this is a man that I really look up to. A man that I would model my life around. He's now 24 years sober. An amazing accomplishment. 
So without further ado, guys, it is my esteemed pleasure and honor to introduce to you Graham Bones Bonner. What's up, Bones? How are you, buddy? That's that's quite the introduction. I'm overwhelmed here. Thanks for putting a smile on my face, Brady. Before we get started, I just had to represent a little bit of Memoco right here. So the awesome. Memoco people out there. Okay, so there we go right off the bat. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I was going to ask you, uh, if you're, are you still living in Mimico? Where are you living these days? Uh, I'm north of uh, Toronto. I'm living in Tottingham, Ontario. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've been okay. up here for about a year and a half. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Well, hey, man, listen, thanks for doing this. And I want to I want to formally apologize because it's been almost a year that we've been trying to make this happen. And it's all it's all on me, man. And I, I I'll be honest, you know, now that I, I know you a little bit better and, and really, you know, reading your story, I think maybe I wasn't ready uh, to have have the conversation uh, that we may have had a year ago. And I think maybe it, it'll be able to reach a lot more people. Uh, now that I'm, I'm sort of climbing that that hill steadily. But I mean, a lot of it, what what I talk about is is hockey, and I think we'll do a little bit of that. But uh, you know, your journey through recovery is, is probably what you know. I I hope that we could talk about if you if you're up for it. But uh, let's get into the hockey quickly. I mean, you were third overall to the OHL, so pretty high expectations coming right out of minor hockey. Yeah, most definitely. I was uh, yeah, third overall. I went to Windsor. There's a lot of high expectations. Uh, Windsor's a great hockey town. Unfortunately, at the time when I was there, they're going through some ownership change. And then uh, I got dealt to Sault Ste. Marie. And that's when uh, I went up there with Terry Chris, Sam McMaster, and a great support cast in the best junior hockey city in Canada. I'll, I'll challenge that. Um, and my career started to turn around up there. Yeah, and I mean, I've never, I've never been to the Sioux, but I've heard that uh, from a lot of people. Actually, I heard it's a great place to play, and you played a lot. You played with some great players there. You guys had an amazing team, uh, but you did find pretty early success there, and you were able to get drafted by the Canadians, an original six team. That must have been a, a dream come true. It was outstanding. Uh, the NHL drafts a little bit different back then. It was always at the Montreal Forum, so there was a lot of pressure going on. Um, I had a bad draft year for a lot of people. It was, you know, being 54th overall, something I'm very proud of, but I'm a goal scorer and I had a bad entry level, um, year. I mean, I only had 54 points, which is a good year. So I slipped from fifth to eighth to 21st to 54th. Okay. Um, so I went from being a first rounder to a bit of a letdown to a steal. That's how quick hockey goes, as you know. So you're from the yeah. penthouse to the outhouse and whatever it may be. But uh, <laughs> here we are. Yeah, and well, that's awesome, though. You you get drafted by Montreal in the Montreal form. Uh, what an amazing experience. And you go into your following year, and you absolutely light it up. 66 goals plus another 13 in playoffs. That's 70, I don't know, nine goals or 70, I don't know, I'm not good at math, 79, I believe, in that year. So you were just scoring at will. I played with some really good uh, good support cast. Of course, our good friend Bob, who I just seen, uh, um, I watched the interview you had with Danny about a month ago, uh, Wayne Gruel, uh, Britt Peer, Chris Brandt, Wayne Presley, Jeff Bukaboom, um, Derek King, Rob Zettler, the list just goes on and on. We had a, a talented bunch. We were a tough team, but very, very high skilled. Look at that, Cooperalls. 
You like the mullet? I rock that, baby. <laughs> I, I'm trying to grow one myself right now. I don't know why you're tripping. I'm going to have a mullet here soon, but um, pretty pretty awesome picture. And, uh, I mean, yeah, you guys had a, a great team. You end up winning the championship that year. Uh, it looks like you guys won in, in 16 straight. Is that is that how it played out? Did you guys lose a game at all in the playoffs? Well, ironically, <clears throat> we... We ended up tying a game at home. We didn't. We didn't sweep the playoffs. The regular season, which is the the Canadian record, that's still I, I don't yeah. think will ever be broken. Thirty three and zero. But we did lose to uh, Peterborough. So the tie actually turned um, a little bit. So we won the first two in Peterborough. Came home, tied and lost. Went back to Peterborough and won. Came back to the Sioux and lost. And we went to Peterborough won. And then for the last game, we actually stayed at a hotel. And treated it like an away game, which is very ironic with with the record that we had that year. So there's a yeah. lot of psychology in hockey. So, yeah, so the, the Pete's had our numbers. Um, you know, and Jeff Tui was a good friend of mine in Peterborough. We laugh about it uh, now, especially when I got traded to the Pete's the next year. Yeah, yeah so it's, uh, it's another conversation, Pete, for, for another show. Well, yeah, and there's a picture there of you guys winning it. And there's Bob Probert there. Uh, that's Bobby on the right, is it not in the bottom? Yeah, he's waiting for the cup. <laughs> Looks like I'm getting my head right in there for a drink of champagne. Those are great pictures. Those are fantastic pictures. Unbelievable pictures. Yeah. Brings back yeah. a lot of great memories, my friend. I, I you can bet. see I'm, I'm, I'm beaming here, as you can tell. Yeah, well, why not? And then that's something that nobody can ever take away from any of you guys. And I think it's, a, you know, especially at that that age, you know, when you have to move away from home and um, you really come together with the team. What was it like for you as, uh, if you could take us back, if you remember having to move away from home? I always ask people this because I struggled immensely with it. Um, the first year was really tough. I mean, you're homesick. Um, I mean, I went to Windsor my first year which is still four hours away. I mean, for the first, uh, there was a lot of high expectations and things weren't, uh, weren't jiving, but uh, you get a little homesick, you know, your first year. My second year, third year, fourth year, it's one of those things where I wasn't ready to come home because you start to change, you get some freedom, things start to happen a little bit, but definitely the first year I struggled with a little bit of homesick for sure. Yeah, and I think it's it's pretty common, and you know I always like to talk about it because I really struggled with it, and I know there's uh, a lot of kids that do, and I feel that when you can hear guys like yourself and even myself, because I was able to get past it too once I once I you know realized what was happening and have those same sort of experiences you're talking about, and you know I've been listening to a lot of motivational um, you know videos on YouTube uh, lately, and there's you know and there's one thing that's for certain is like if you know, if you quit, then it's never going to happen. And so, you know, you got to keep trying. And I, I try to put that message out, no matter what you're doing in life, the second you give up on yourself or you quit, well, then you know that it's not whatever you're trying to do is not going to happen. That's a that's a guarantee. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I shot myself in the foot a little bit um, in junior with the amount of times I, I walked away from the team because I was mentally ill or whatever. And, you know, trying to live with that. And we're going to get into that here in a little bit, having to live with those you know, what ifs and everything else, especially when it comes to hockey. And, you know, you, you ended up getting traded to the Pe the Pete's, but you were the captain of the Greyhounds when you got traded. So was that, an, was that expected? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, as you know, in junior hockey, we had the big year that the season before, and there's about, we had some returnees, but uh, the, the nucleus of the guys had graduated to the American Hockey League or the NHL. And we went from number one to number two, and we'd beaten Peterborough in the final the year before. 
So you knew the trade was coming up. You just didn't know where you were going. Um, so when I had the opportunity, you know, to get traded to the Pete's, I was a little bit, I was excited about going to uh, getting another chance at uh, winning another OHL championship. Right. But, you know, you leave a place that you love. I mean, my grandkids are in the Sault Ste. Marie now, my daughter's up there. I'm still very close to the community. Um, being moved again, it's a part of the game. It was hard at the same time, but going to Peterborough, um, I was delighted. And another storied franchise. I mean, that, that old rink in Peterborough, I've, I've only seen it in videos and I've always wanted to go check it out. But it seems like it was a, a great place to play. And the only reason I know that is because I would watch that Ty Domi What It Takes video all the time and, and you get to see what it was like. So you got to play for, you know, three really great organizations in the OHL. And now and now you're ready to move on to pro. And you went to uh, a few Montreal Canadian camps before having to actually graduate as a professional. So what was it like, you know, when you know, okay, my time here in the OHL is done and now I'm ready to to try my myself at the next level? Like, were you uh, confident moving into that uh, sector of hockey or how are you feeling? Well, my first year I was an 18 year old. Um, yeah. So so when you, back then, I mean, you know, you go to Montreal, especially they were coming off some of their, their big years. So my first training camp in Montreal was Guy Lafleur's last year, you know. Um, I was never a Habs fan until I went to the forum and watched the flower walk in the room. Like I'm sitting here, you can still feel the hairs in your arms stand up. I mean, he was God back then, you know, he came into the rink, he was balding on top, but he walked in and it was just like a gush of air <laughs> went, went floating through the arena. His hair was blowing fluently. And, you know, I've cut my hair recently, so I'm a bit of a hair guy. Uh, but I mean, they still had Larry Robinson, Bob Ganey, Mario Tremblay. And on any particular day, the hockey gods would walk in. I mean, it would be, you know, one of the Richard brothers. It would be John Beliveau. Uh, and the list just goes on and on. And not to mention, you know, guys were coming up like uh, Chris Chelios was coming up, um, Stefan Richer, Shane Corson, Patrick Waugh. Um, there was just an abundance of talent. So your first year when you go there, you get one of the higher numbers. So I was number 50. Ironically, I drank Labatt's 50 at the time. So that was a big deal to me, you know, tongue in cheek. But the second year, um, I, I walked into the room and there was number 29 waiting for me in the room. So I'm thinking that was my number in junior. The last guy I wore 29 was Ken Dryden. Yep. So you're a 19-year-old kid. Your number's sitting there. You're thinking, hey, I've got a shot here, right? So... You know, that's when you start getting a little bit nervous. You're excited. You start to learn a bit a little bit about the city. In Montreal, I don't know how many people have been to Montreal. It's a exciting place yeah. for a 19-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard I've heard that from a few people, one of them being Terry Ryan, who was a first-rounder to them uh, later on and uh, said the same thing. It, it's an incredible place. And I've, I've, had, I've been fortunate enough to visit the city, but not as, a, not as part of the Montreal Canadiens, which takes it to a whole other level. It really is different. I mean, you know, with apologies to Toronto fans, because um, I know the Toronto-Montreal rivalry and Toronto's a big hockey city. There's nothing like hockey in Montreal. I mean, the things that we did, the things that we got away with, the things that we experienced, um, you know, good thing there was no social media back then. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But I mean, there were fun times. I mean, everybody knew who you were, whether you're an 18-year-old rookie or if you were Guy Lafleur, you were a Montreal Canadian. And that's the way you were treated. You were treated with class and respect. Um, it's a special place. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I mean, you go... 
you go into a training camp with all those those legends and uh obviously it would have felt unbelievable to see your number sitting there because people have to realize that when you're a rookie and when you go to training camp you're usually getting a number higher than 50 maybe even higher than 60 and, and when you're looking at a team like the Montreal Canadiens it's might maybe even higher than that they're going to run out of numbers soon and then it's all of a sudden you're like hey that's that was Ken Dryden's number so I mean it that must have felt pretty good and uh, you ended up getting getting hurt. You're playing well and getting hurt. Tell us a little bit about that experience for you and and what happened there. Well, my first year, um, like I said, uh, I went back to junior, got a little bit of experience, went back. Um, I had a great year uh, with the Sioux. Um, the next year, I played in eight exhibition games, um, and that's the year I thought I had a crack at it, and that's I ended up going back to junior. But it was my. Um, my last year junior, I, I kind of hurt my ankle a little bit that year in Peterborough in the playoffs. Um, it was kept on the low because you didn't talk about injuries, whatever it may be. Um, but I tore something on the inside of my left um, ankle. And I played through it. You know, you tape it up, do whatever you got to do. It's, it's a suit up, suit up, show up, play, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and training camp the next year, I tore it a little bit and then I broke my wrist and then I uh, uh, an exhibition game against the U.S. Olympic team, I came across a balloon line with my head down. And hockey was different back then. They finished their checks. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, and, I, I and, I, and I separated my shoulders. So I came back, got healthy again, um, went back down to Sherbrooke, had a freak injury. I actually got called up, as you said in the beginning, and um, hurt my Achilles inside of my ankle. And it was never, ever, ever the same. So... You know, within, you know, in a year and a half, which, you know, is a very, very short time, we've been trying to get in touch with each other for a year. So when you figure that timeline out, it's, uh, uh, it was over, you know, like I, I tried coming back, but now what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, and, and what was that like? Because, you know, I've, I've talked to several guys that have had similar things happen. And when you're trying so hard and your body's not performing and then you're willing to do anything you can and, you know, you're older now. I know for me, I, I instantly turned to, you know, drugs and alcohol as, as my outlet. And that's what kept me, you know, outside of my head because I was so obsessed with, you know, the resentment against hockey and what if and this right. and uh, I know that you're in recovery and before we say anything else, 24 years, like, holy cow, man, that's a huge, a great accomplishment. And I, I'm sure it hasn't been the easy the entire 24 years because every day is a new day. Uh, but kudos to you. I, I want to hear, if you don't mind a little bit uh, about the process leading into that, that time in 1996, when you decided to go for help, like what, what was the progression there? Um, the timeline, if you don't mind getting into it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, um, as we know, you know, alcohol was always a part of the game. I mean, my, my disease was always sitting there waiting to do whatever it was going to do. Um, now, I had the ability to go out and drink the night before and still show up. Um, but I mean, the early 90s, I didn't know what I was going to do. I ended up back going back and playing in the Colonial Hockey League, actually. We used to call it the Cocktail League. Um, really good hockey league really good hockey league there were ex-pros playing in it i went back and i was good for about a year and a half um because i you know i had that god-given talent to put the puck in the net and the puck was following me around and it was going in the net and that's what bones does right um but around the second year my ankle went on me again um 
and I, you know, it, it broke my heart. I mean, the injuries broke my heart. I lost focus on what I was doing. I was skating around on one leg. I mean, I was going to get killed out there. Um, I got by on, you know, because people knew who I, who I was. So I think they felt a little bit sorry about me. The young guys wouldn't run at me because the old guys would say, hey, don't touch bones sort of thing, right? Which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a lot of sleepless nights. Um, my ankle was sore. Um, you know, I played some roller hockey and I... Yeah. A lot of sleepless nights, and you rely on things. I mean, of course, painkillers came into it. You know, you're drinking. Um, it's a part of the game. And then I stopped playing because I just couldn't do it anymore. And I lost hope. I mean, um, you know, in the end, you know, it's, um, I was afraid bring it up to the 96. We can go back or wherever you go. But um, I thought I was going to die. Uh, you know, I wanted to die. But I wanted to stay alive. I was afraid to die, but I was afraid to live. I didn't know who Graham Bonner was. I really didn't know. I was Graham Bonner, the hockey player. Um, and that's the only identity that I that I had back then. Today, I know who I am. And we'll get to that as we go along, because I know you're yeah. dying to jump in. So back to you, Brady, for 2000. <laughs> no, no, man. I want to I hear it. I want to hear it all, man. It's, uh, uh, it's intriguing to me, uh, because, you know, I've gone through my own journey and so many others have, and it just surprises me. And, and, you know, I look to you and this is something that you've been going, you've essentially been going through since the early nineties. And it's been, you know, it's been a pro a process for you and I'm early in my journey. So I want to sit back, I want to listen, and I, I want to hear how it all unfolded for you. And I know I had the same sort of feelings, Bones. Like I, you know, I was scared to live, scared to scared to die. I I didn't know what the hell to do, man. I had no idea what to do. So what was the deciding factor for you when you're like, hey, enough is enough and uh, I'm going to get some help? Well, I, I mean, there's a lot of contributing factors. I mean, I was hurting everybody who loved me. Um, I distanced myself from my daughter. Um, you see, I was a bit of chame- a bit of a chameleon. Um, mm-hmm. I was well, I was well liked, so I could hang out with any crowd that was there. Whether it was this crowd, this crowd, this crowd. But the only thing was, I was tucking this crowd in the bed, waking this crowd to go up, spending time with them, tucking them in, and going out and hanging out with other people. I take full ownership for everything I did. There's no one else's fault but myself. I, I made those choices. Um, but after a while, I mean, anyone who knows anything about opiates. Um, you know, you need them to get up, you need them to go to sleep, you need them to function. Um, and that goes along with the cocaine and the alcohol because my my drug of choice was more, okay? Yes. So whatever you whatever you put in front of me, I'm going to take. And I'm going to take that from you emotionally, physically, or spiritually because that's the person that I was because I was charming. Um, it's something I'm okay with talking about today because today I'm okay with myself. But near the end, uh, my mother saved my life. I'm uh, in the rooms of N.A., C.A., AA because I'm qualified for anything with an A in it. Um, yeah. um, and I went to treatment um, June 29th, 1996. And I didn't even realize it was 29 with my hockey number until about a year ago. A co-worker that I work with, Rory Nolan, said, hey, that's your hockey number. I said, I didn't even know. You know, so how many years into it, ironically, you know, if you want to believe in something, um, which I do believe in a lot. Um, yeah, my mom stuck with me. Um, I distanced myself, um, and I went to treatment. I was in treatment 123 days, um, and 
I thought it was the best treatment center in the world. I'm not going to name where it was, but it was all educational, you know? So I thought, okay, I've got this licked. And then you get in the real world. It's like, oh, hold the phone here. I've got all this trauma. I got all this stuff that I've got to deal with. How am I going to deal with that now? So then my journey started there. So that brings us to, you know, September, early October. So, and then that's when my journey started, you know, it slowly started. I was at CYW child and youth worker and then I slowly started getting into um, working as an addictions counselor and everything just kind of snowballed it was something that um, I'm proud of I'm good at um, people trust me I don't have to put on a different face I'm just me you know I'm not bones at uh, even though I'm bones whatever I'm Graham you know whatever it may be some people know me as bones but um but um, it's something that was given to me as a gift. Somebody gave me a gift and I want to spread it to whoever needs it. Wow, it's amazing. I'm going to call you Graham now from now on. And, and I, I, I like it. I like it. And, and so, you know, you, I, I guess, you know, in the hockey community, you'll, you'll forever be known as, as Bones and, and that's okay. Um, but I'm going to call you Graham. And, and I think you make a really good point in, in finding yourself and who you were. And I, I totally... Uh, hear you on that one. I was much the same, a chameleon. I, I was doing the same kind of stuff. Uh, and I don't know how much you relied on, you know, being Bones, the hockey player, for everything. And it, it for me, I know it almost, people treated me differently because right. of the hockey. Was that the case for you? Well, it, it's funny you said that because for, I don't know about yourself, but for a while I didn't watch hockey. I didn't want anything to do with it because I, I couldn't deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in Montreal, I hung out with a lot of different people, you know, a lot of, you know, I'm not going to get into who I was hanging out with, but I mean, I could walk in over here and walk in over there and it was, you know, Bones or Monsieur Bonaire because if they turned Bonner into a French, French name, whatever it may be. Um, but um, today I know who I am, right? I mean, every morning when I get up, I try to be the kindest and gentlest person that I can be. Um, I want to be the best person that I can be. Um, I live very regimented. I get up in the morning. I train. Um, I love animals. I love myself. Um, it's because it took a long time for me to love myself. Uh, uh, I, I'm a very good son. Um, I'm a great father. I love my grandkids. Um, I think I'm a pretty good boyfriend too. So <laughs> t- today Graham's a pretty good person and that's, the whole idea about recovery is trying to figure out who you are because you said you often identify yourself as being the hockey player and then you don't want to be the hockey player. So all the resentments jump in, you know, well, I don't want to be that person. Or I'm not going to be whoever it is. Hockey's part of my life and it's a huge part of my life. And I would, you know, some things I would have changed, whatever it may be, but that allows me to be the person who I am today. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's so many life lessons that come from hockey. And would you say that, uh, you know, a lot of the things that you learn as a hockey player, uh, some of them, do they, do they come into effect and do they play a part in your daily life as an, as an addictions counselor? Most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I, I've, I was um, very, very lucky and fortunate to play for Terry Crisp and Sam McMaster in the Sioux. Um, we were always taught to say please and thank you, which I think, you know, I'll just say it. That's what society's missing right now is just common um, chivalry, wh- however you want to say it. 
you know, saying please and thank you and being kind is out the window. Um, going to Montreal, which is a classy organization. I mean, back then you couldn't come to the rink, not clean shaven. When I learned, when I got clean in the morning, you had to shave every single day, make your bed, suit up, show up, whatever it may be. So a lot of those things that um, were taught playing hockey, I'm going back to, like getting up in the morning and working out, eating well, taking care of myself, um, being connected to something that I believe in, uh, being a spiritual person, um, dedication. Um, oh, there's Crispy right there, the old crazy redhead. Yeah, it took me a while, but I got her. Yeah, he's, he's a beauty. Actually, before um, tonight, there was a show on a Sault Ste. Marie, and they were talking about uh, the 84-85 team. So I got a bit of a warm-up tonight uh, before we came in. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I, lo- I love what, you he- what you're saying there, and I think I agree with you. I, I really try to uh, be as polite as I can, and that's something that I'm teaching the kids every day. Like, you know, our kids, Taylor and I's kids, is they're very polite, and it's something that goes a long way. And I hadn't really thought – how you know how much it's dissipated uh from from the world and uh, you know getting to play for a guy like terry crisp i mean it, it's it's pr- must have been pretty awesome how much did that change your your game uh but did it maybe did it have more of an impact lasting like later on in life meeting meeting and playing for a guy like that well that's that's what i'm talking about like the things yeah. the things that were taught to us in junior hockey um and even i had a great um, young uh, coach when I played mi- minor hockey, Pat Flannery, who actually scouted with Montreal Canadiens. There's lots of things that they uh, presented to us. They said, we're not just developing hockey players, we're developing fine young men. Um, and when you go to Sault Ste. Marie, you go to Peterborough, you go to Kitchener or London, um, the hockey players aren't just hockey players, they're part of the community, whether you're a firefighter or a ditch digger, whatever it may be. And the foundation that um, that you learn from, from these great men saying please and saying thank you. I remember when we used to go on road trips, eat restaurants an awful lot. This is the 80s. We we're all given a dollar bill to give uh, the waitress a tip, you know, like small little things like that that stick with you. Um, because sometimes hockey players had, and teams had bad reputations, you know, they're gunslingers and cowboys, however you want to say it. Um, but we were taught to be respectful, wear a suit and tie, which I, I still think the kids wear now, which I think is uh, very proper. You know, I'm kind of old school that way. That's what they call me at work, old school, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think those, those are very, very important things. Respecting your elders, um, I think is very, very important. I, I'm going to echo that. And what I've found over time is I, I enjoy uh, some of the best conversations with with those that are older than me and have that life experience. And I know, I think it's the same for everybody when you're young uh, and, and I, wa- I don't want to say ignorant, but I'm going to say ignorant. It, you know, you're, you think you know everything. You don't have time for these, these old, old folks. And as you know, as I've found, it's like, Tell me more. Tell me more. I, I want to learn more, you know? So, uh, by the way, you look great. You, you look fat you. for your age, man. How, I don't want to age you, but you're 55, you said. 55, yeah. I think I get uh, shopper's uh, discount now. <laughs> who knew? I remember looking at somebody who was 40 years old thinking they were old. Um, I'm 55, and, um, you know, there's some stuff breaking down in me. But, um, you know, I, I take good care of myself. You know, it's it, it's uh, it's hard work looking this pretty, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I'll, I'll tongue in cheek. But um, it's regimented going back. I feel good when I train in the morning and eat good. Um, and then I'm spiritually connected. I work 
um, I, I received a gift to work with people who are searching for their lives. And in, for me to go in and do that job on a consistent basis, I have to be present and in a healthy place when I go in there. And for, for Graham Bonner, that, that includes getting up in the morning, praying. Um, I got to do more praying, actually. I've been slacking a little bit. Um, but working out, eating well. So when I come to work, I'm ready to help somebody. And I think that's a heck of a gift. And that's something I, I, I carry very close to my heart. So training and doing those things is very important. So, well, yeah. And I feel, you know, it's a great responsibility and, and a great privilege to be in the position that you're in. And I think, you know, but you've, you've earned it. How long, how long did you take, did it take you for really to, to get, you know, to get into recovery and be like, Hey, you know what? Like this really is the life for me. Like, was there a time, was it six months, a year, two years? Is it still ongoing? Like what, was there a hurdle that you got over where you're like, okay, you know what? I got this. And this is, this is the way I'm going to live my life. Well, I started volunteering right away. Like mm -hmm. I left the treatment center and I started volunteering. So I was coming in on Sundays and Wednesdays and just giving back, coming back and doing the dishes. Okay. Like it's uh, right now we're so bound with administration work and stuff like that. But when I first got working in this field, you'd go do the dishes with the clients. That's when you have your best conversations, you know, and I learned that it's very similar to the rooms of NACNA is welcome the newcomer in yeah. to the rooms. And I was, I received those gifts. Um, I just fell into it. Like I said, I was a child and youth worker previous and I coached kids sports. Um, it just made sense. And before you knew it, um, you know, some people say take one year, two years, five years before you get into the field of addiction because it can be very, very stressful. Um, it was just a natural step. It was just the same thing as going from junior B hockey to junior A hockey to the NHL for me. Um, so it, it was very, very natural. And like I said earlier, um, I am very honored with the trust that I get from the clients. I just yeah. be myself. I don't have to pretend to be someone who I was many, many years ago. I always knew there was a good person inside. Um, all I had to do is surrender that uh, this disease is more powerful than bones. <laughs> and um, so before you know it, here we are 20 plus years later. Um, I got the greatest job in the world some days. <laughs> yeah, well. And we talked about this before uh, yesterday or the day before. And I mean, it's hard. It must be hard. And, you know, I actually received news just a few hours ago that one of my friends uh, lost another one of my friends to a fentanyl overdose, not in the hockey community, but a guy that I that I knew. And uh, it just never seems to end. And I can only imagine that, you know, there's, a, there's people coming in those doors all the time where you make relationships with them. And uh, I know for me going to treatment, I went to treatment several times. I didn't go this time around. And I actually want to talk about NA. I know we're not supposed to talk about NA in the media and everything, uh, but I, I'm going to bring it up here in a little bit. Uh, but, you know, having to, you know, you make these relationships and then when they leave, they walk out that door, you know, and then you receive the news uh, that they didn't make it. Uh, I know that there's still the great stories, the ones that do. Um, but has that been difficult for you? I'm better at it now. Um, this may sound cold, but in early recovery, I heard somebody say somebody has to die to keep us alive. And I didn't get it when I first heard it, but I get it today. Yeah. Um, however, yes, we get the phone calls, um, about people passing on. Um, however, you get the great stories, you know, um, people phone and say, Hey, 
Hey, Graham, I just wanted to call and say I got my five years in coming up. I just wanted to thank you. I've got my, my family back. Um, all these beautiful things. I was walking around Niagara Falls two summers ago and a guy came up to me with his family. He was there with his two little girls and his father. He didn't talk to his father for years, wasn't allowed to talk to his daughters. He said, you know, here's daddy's um, special teacher. Remember when he had to go to school? I was in Shoppers Drug Mart um, this summer and a guy came up to me who was coming up on his 10 years and he was estranged from his son. And I gave him a homework assignment many, many years ago I got him to write a letter to his son and then I got him to, to write a letter from his son to him. And he scratched his head and thinking, you know, what's that all about? I said, well, it's going to train the other side of your brain a little bit to get the perspective how your son's doing. And his goal was to go see an Our Lady Peace concert with his son. That's what the letter was all about. And he said, Graham, I finally got to go see the Our Lady Peace concert with my son. Now that uh, that's pretty powerful. I mean, and that's just, uh, you know, a small tale of many, many beautiful stories. Um, but when you see somebody and you bump into people and they're with their kids or with their partner, what's better than that? You know, hoisting nope. the daily cup? I don't think so. You know what I, I mean? Don't, I don't think so either, man. I, I really, that's why I said in the intro, I said, you know, when uh, I, I was expecting to hear, you know, stories along these lines. But when I said in the intro about, you know, be, when you're recognized for the work you're doing in that field, it, it's it's greater than any accomplishment that you could ever get playing hockey. I, I truly believe that. And because hockey is a sport, it's a, it's a great game. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there's some holes in it, especially these days, but we're not going to go down that road. <laughs> However, it's, it's a great game that brings us together. It's been the vehicle that's really driven me my whole life at different times. Um, you know, the podcast, whatever, getting reconnected with hockey. Yeah, that's how I know a guy. That's how I know you. Right. And that's exactly. this conversation, but there's limits to hockey and, you know, hockey is a 60 minute game, uh, 82 games in an NHL season. And there's a lot of time in between where those guys, the coaches, whoever's involved fans, well, they're not, they don't have their gear on. They're not watching hockey. They're not whatever. So what do we do when we're not playing? And those are when the, the real moments of life happen. And I, I can't imagine what that must feel like. And I was almost in tears. I was fighting back tears. Cause I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, if, cause I'm estranged from my kids. Right. And I'm really, it's wearing on me every single day. Uh, I have, you know, Lincoln, Hadley, and Veda. I, I get to see them, but I still have Brooklyn and Brody back in back out west that I haven't seen in a number of years. And it just, it wears on me every single day. So when I hear stories like that, it just, it reinforces that, you know, I just keep putting one foot in the one foot in front of the other and doing the right thing. And it brings me into the rooms of NA and AA and, and you don't have to touch on it if you don't want to. Cause I know there's, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in those rooms. I wouldn't say a lot, but uh, I did, I think I did like 115 meetings in 90 days one time and I uh, had 11 close to 11 months clean the one time and was a, uh, you know, I chaired the meetings. I was the greeter. I made the coffee. Uh, I had, you know, two or three home groups at a time. And um, I'll be honest up until this conversation, I haven't felt a need um, to, go back there. But mm -hmm. I'm sitting here thinking that maybe I, maybe that's something I need to do. And it's sort of this progression because, you know, Graham, like up until about a month ago when I had Jim Thompson on the podcast and, and another great guy, he, 
he gave me a couple piece of pieces of advice. He said, you know, stop swearing for one, because you swear too much. And I think that's a great piece of advice. I don't swear at all on my podcast anymore. And, you know, I, I said jackass once and I said it again, but that's a donkey. That was, that's the only thing I've said since he's been on my podcast. And I don't speak for other guests that come on. They're free to say whatever they want. Um, and he also said, stop, stop smoking weed, stop using cannabis. And, so for the first year, almost a year of my recovery, I was, I was, I was abusing cannabis. So when I say I'm a year, you know, it was a, for me, it's a victory because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be candid. I was sticking needles in my arm every 10 minutes of the day for the good last five years up until a year ago, just over a year ago. So the fact that I wasn't doing that anymore, it's still to me a victory. But as I sit here today, it's been a month since I've used cannabis. It's been a month. Today, actually, I think it's been a month since Jim's been on my podcast and I'm thinking a lot more clearly and I, I've sort of been feeling stuck and I feel like there's not in it like it's a different kind of stuck where I feel like maybe I need to go back to those to, to the rooms and, and to start really start peeling back some layers. So it's interesting um, having this conversation and listening to you. And I'm not just saying that. and I know it makes it hard because of the way things are, but I mean, there must be a ton of them on Zoom. There, there's a ton of them on Zoom. And first of all, Jim Thompson's a first class guy and it's somebody who I've known of and I think we've known of each other, but we've started to connect a little bit. Um, Brady, I've been watching you for a year. Um, I w I've been watching you grow and my heart's been with you. Um, I have a saying, struggle and grow, whatever it may be. And Whatever you choose, what your recovery is going to be like, my choice is absence-based treatment because that works for me. Um, you're in a better place than you were many years ago, but I can tell you one thing in, in the last month, you just shared this with me yesterday, by the way. Um, you're so much more astute in the last month. I observe. That's what I do for a living. <laughs> yeah, I'm a psychotherapist, right? So I observe people the way they present themselves because I'm a big guy in self-esteem. Um, one thing I've noticed is your head's higher, like right away, okay? <laughs> now, you can do with this whatever you want, um, not knowing. I said, hey, because um, I said to my partner, Kim, I said, Brady's looking a little healthier these days, you know, because we've been watching you. She thinks you're a cutie, by the way, so I'll keep my eye on her. But if that's something that you want to carry, it's yours. But in the last month, ironically, and you shared that with me yesterday, you know, it makes sense, you know, okay, he's, he's off the cannabis. Um, I'll never judge anyone's recovery. All I can speak about what works for Graham. Well, I appreciate that. And, and it, it's true though. Like I feel so much better and I'll be honest, I've taken a lot of flack for it. Like, because there's, there was a time when I thought I, I, I really thought that I needed it and everything else. And so I've kind of peeped. And then there's other people that still live that way. And that's okay. I'm with you. I don't judge them. I, I no. could, whatever they want to do, but people, there's been a few guys uh, out there that have given me some flack. They're like, Oh, you could have helped lead the, well, it's not me. Like it didn't, it's not feeling right for me anymore. I think maybe it served its purpose, but then it's like, well, what if I would have just stopped it a year ago? Where would I be at? But I'm not going to live that way. But I appreciate you taking taking notice because I feel I feel a lot healthier and I, I do. I feel a lot more confident and I don't feel like 
I'll be honest. I was, I was abusing cannabis. I can say that. I'm not trying to hide. I've been very authentic. I was abusing cannabis, um, just replaced one for the other. And obviously I was still able to, you know, progress a little bit, but I'll tell you what, the last month I've, I've turned it around and I, I don't think it's anything other than the fact that I'm really living a healthier lifestyle. And I think there's something to be said about that. And, and I appreciate that. If you don't mind me asking, are you still active um, in the rooms? Um, with this, the new Zooms and stuff, I mean, I'm not as active as I be, but I'm still very well connected to the, to the AA community. Um, our foundation at, at Hope Place Centers is still 12-step based. Uh, we believe in the foundation of absence-based treatment. So um, I'm not as connected as I should be. Um, however, it's something that I, that I truly, truly believe in. And hey, in the last 30 days, you look like a different person. Okay. And that's a gift. Okay. I've, you know, we know lots of people that smoke, they do whatever they want and that's okay because they can handle it. We're addicts. My experience is that someone who smokes to replace something else is going to end up going back out. Now you can choose to do whatever you want, but um, I'm looking at someone who I'm very proud of today. So Thank there's, Thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. And you know what I found? I haven't even said this to anybody or anything, but there is, uh, I was a part of something uh, a few days ago and I won't put it on them because that's up to them to say what they want to, but they, I was with them and we played some hockey and everything else. And uh, I guess they were still under the impression that, you know, I was using cannabis and they were all excited. They're like, yeah, like we're going to be able to smoke one with him. And I had to break the news that I was like, Hey, I was like, I don't do that anymore, but don't, don't stop yourselves for me. You guys do whatever you want. And so I was actually, I was actually with them. Like they had, they had a bong, they had this, they had everything. And I was like, Hey, that's what I had no inclination, not a smidge, not even zero. I was like, no, I'm like, fine. And it wasn't like sitting there and I've been there before where I'm trying to white knuckle it. And it's like, Oh, I'm just saying no. Cause I have to say no. I was like, no, like I just, you yeah. do what you want and, I'm, and I feel great about it. So, man, thank you for that. And yeah. I, we have some comments, some uh, comments coming in. Uh, we'll see what they say. Oh, Rustin Baldwin, Graham Bonner basically saved my life with wisdom, humor, care and concern 11 years ago. His wisdom or words and guidance are with me to this day, a living angel. That must feel pretty good. He's a beautiful man. Is a heck of a drummer, too. That's how we connected right off the bat. Black Sabbath and punk rock. That's where we are. Rustin Baldwin, I love you, my brother. You're okay for an Englishman. <laughs> He'll get that. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Matthew Stepnick says, first time tuning in. I'm loving these stories, full of inspiration, and knowing that I'm not alone in my struggles. Beautiful. Welcome, Matthew. Um, ah, so that's my beautiful daughter, Chantel. Warms my heart. <laughs> Sorry, that's my, that's my angel right there. I love you, honey. You just warmed my heart. That's that, there is a gift, and, and to go back what you were talking about early, uh, earlier, Brady. The longer you stay in treatment, the more gifts come your way, and the longer you stay in, that knock will come on the door. And my relationship with my daughter today is second to none. Um, I love her to beans. Yeah, she's a big hug, honey. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, Liam Edwards says, hello, Graham, your favorite goalie. Yeah, I used to abuse Liam in, in Memoco. He's a street hockey goalie. And um, a great friend. 
and is a survivor. He went through a heck of an accident. We've been, we're a close knit group in Mimico and he's warmed all our hearts. Um, Liam, you're a good Irishman. Liam, yeah. Yes. Survivor, you're a warrior, man. And thanks for joining the show. I, I love it. Rustin Baldwin also says, congrats on quitting weed, Brady. Awesome job. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Rustin. I appreciate that. Uh, big time. And uh, Liam, too. Uh, back again says, good job in your last month, Brady, praying you are able to keep it up. And uh, thank you for that. And, you know, pray. Uh, you you mentioned going back, Graham, you said that you need to pray more. And I I pray quite regularly and it's been a a sometimes people think i'm like talking to myself or trying to talk to them and they're like what was that i'm like no no because sometimes i'll just say it kind of quietly um not in my head and but it's it's a big part of what what i'm doing and i think you know for anybody watching or listening uh like like what you said like there is everybody's gonna have their own journey of recovery and i think that's what i found out uh more this year than anything is that it's, I, I was so scared when I first went into recovery that, okay, well, I couldn't be Brady, the hockey player. I couldn't be Brady, the drug addict anymore. Now I have to be Brady, you know, the recovery Brady. And I was trying to pretend to be something I wasn't there, putting on masks in there and everything else. And, uh, but now that I sit here, you know, and I, I watch you speak and I hear your stories, man, like I'm, I am absolutely, Absolutely. I've actually never felt better um, about my recovery than I have sitting here in, and especially this last month, but sitting here talking to you and, and seeing, uh, you know, 24 years, man, and still going strong. And I got the date marked down now. So um, I'm going to put have to put that in my calendar, June 29th, 1996. So it was one, one and done for you. You went to rehab one time and that was it. Yeah, but it wasn't the first time I, I, I tried to get clean. I mean, I, I tried it my own way a couple times. Um, I didn't surrender. Um, you know, promised I'd quit, lied, cheated, whatever it may be. Um, but in the end, enough was enough. You know, it was and it was tough. You know, it was the hardest thing I ever did in my life by far. However, the, the most rewarding. I mean, I just think about how many things started to come my way, you know, gifts that um that we're, we're dropping in your lap. Now, now, does that mean you have a, um, you know, a, a crappy day or whatever it may be? No, th those things still happen. But the longer you stick around, you develop the coping skills and you lean on people who have been there, done it, have the bumper sticker, whatever it may be. Um, you ask, you ask for help. Or before you'd never ask for help. You think that that was, uh, you know, you're weak. We call those the man rules. You know, you can't ask for help which is which is a shame because those are things we were taught as young boys growing up you know you can't show feelings you can't cry you can't be sad you can't be lonely but you can be pissed off and angry and the reason you're pissed off and angry is because you haven't dealt with the shame the sadness the loneliness the hurt we all want to be loved deep down inside right and when we start to love ourselves then we can give and receive love. But until we love ourselves, we can't love somebody because we're just taking them as hostage, right? So slowly things start to happen. Um, it doesn't mean you're not going to have pain. You're not going to have headaches. You're not going to have a little bit of road rage on the way home. But uh, it, it's, a lot, it's a lot easier. And I'll tell you one thing about friends too. I stayed away from my area for 10 years. Um, and when I came back to the area, um, you'll know who your true friends are. If you're going to where they are and they're doing what they're doing, you can't expect them to stop doing what they're doing. That's an unfair expectation. But a friend 
will never offer me something that he knows will do harm to Graham or Bones or whatever it may be because I have uh, I know an awful lot of people, but the people who are around me will never offer me something because they love me and respect me and I love and respect them. And I've, I'm very, very lucky to have that in my life because there was a time when I was going to take it or they're going to offer it to me and I don't yeah. want to be that person again. So I just want to throw that in there. That's a, that's a, that's a great point. That's a, that's a really great point. And, um, you know, I sit here and I think about it. I have, you know, I have a, I have some people in, in my life too, that I, I don't obviously COVID, but there's people from my old life. There's a couple guys that I, you know, I still talk to. Um, and to be honest with you, they're not, they're not so much users as they're on the other side of it. And, and, you know, even one guy I owe several thousand dollars to, and uh, I talked to him today. He's actually the one that told me about our friend passing away. And, you know, and I brought up the money that I owed him and he's like, man, he's like, don't even worry about it right now. He's like, I'm just so proud of you. He's like, I, he's like, if you ever go back to that, he's like, I, I I'm going to, he's like, I'm going to come box your face in is what he said. And the guy's like almost 400 pounds and, and just a, a nut bar. So I, it's interesting, you know, it's like, I had to cut a lot of people out of my life, um, a lot of people. And I heard a really great saying uh, in one of these motivational videos that I've been watching is that there's, you know, you don't have to feel bad that you're ever leaving people behind um, if they're wanting to stay in. I forget how it was worded, but if you want to, you don't want to stay in that hell. Like, why are you feeling bad for leaving people there? Like, you don't want to stay there. So it's you you have to be your own hero. Like nobody is going to come rescue you out of hell. And you know, it's, it's probably the hardest thing that I had to realize was like, you know what? Like I have to really do this on my own and certainly, you know, reach out and get the support that's available. And, and people will definitely be a huge part of my journey and have been, and, and will be for anybody. But at the end of the day, it has to come down to the decisions that you're going to make and that I'm going to make and the choices we all make that's what's going to make the difference because as far as I know, there's no superhero that's coming down to rescue people out of, uh, out of their addictions. And even those people like Jim Thompson has done interventions. Even when that happens, when you get to wherever you're going, albeit a treatment center or whatever, it still comes down to the choices we have to make. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, no one's going to change unless they want to change. I mean, you need supports, you need great people around you, but, um, I had lots of people that wanted to help me, um, lots and lots of great people. And I broke their hearts, but it was until I took ownership and got honest and did the things that I had to do. You can't shame somebody. You can't give them hard love. You can guide and support, but unless that person wants to change, they're not going to change. I mean, and that's what's, you know, so heartbreaking about our disease. Cause I believe it is a disease. Yeah. Um, the person has to want it. Right. And when you want it, you have to ask for help and be okay with asking for help and surrender that this thing, if I pick up, I'm going to die. That's how I feel today. And that's what keeps me sober. It's not, okay, I've got years of, of sobriety, whatever it may be. I truly believe if I pick up, I'm going to die. Now, if it's a fear-based disease, that's okay. But for today, that's the last thing in the world I want to do. So. I love there you it. Go. Yeah, I, that's, that's, I, that's, that's almost as good as scoring five goals against Kitchener back to back or something like that. <laughs> you do that? Yeah, I think so. I asked Jeff too. Oh, he, he knows the story better than I do. Oh my God. That's, that would be crazy. What's the most, did you, what's the most goals you scored in a game in junior? Five. five? 
Well, I, yeah, got, I, did, I, I did it a few times. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess so. You had 66 in one year and like, I don't know, 50 something the other year and just a goal scoring machine. Couple, uh, I had four one game. It was a total fluke. It was all Jamie. Jamie Ben had two goals, four assists. I had four goals, one assist. He's wasn't a bad guy to play with, captain of the Dallas Stars. Um, William Alan McNeil says, Love you, Graham. Great podcast, Brady. I'm so glad I tuned in. Keep your stick on the ice and also Rustin Baldwin now saying Graham the wisdom whisperer never look down on someone else unless you are helping them up is that something you told them it's nice to hear it back again that's it that's, like, that's it's nice to hear it back again yeah I I love it man I love it if uh we'll wrap it up okay. here shortly but Graham if you had to give uh one piece of advice if somebody's listening to this after the fact or watching and before i let you answer i will remind everybody that i'm sorry it's not on facebook we would have way more watches but i'm gonna post it tomorrow on facebook after my 24-hour suspension is is removed so we'll have a ton of views on facebook so and a lot of people download and listen i'll be honest the audio side of it is where i get the majority of my uh my viewership so if somebody's out there and they're struggling um individually first off what would be your advice and the second piece is if you have a family member you have a family member that's struggling with uh, you know an addiction what's what's a piece of advice is, is there anything we can do well first of all um to answer question one i, I mean right now they're really really tough times so um pick up the phone um do your research um I know a lot of people think, you know, treatment is not for them. They're, they're afraid of their losing their jobs, whatever it may be. Well, you're not going to have a job or your family if you don't pick up the phone to get help. Um, and that leads into your family. Um, be, a, be, available, be available for them. Because um, watching a family member go through something is very, very tough. And I've seen a lot of people very close to me that go through things and still are. Um, be there to listen to them, but also put up healthy boundaries. I mean, you have to nurture yourself. You have to have uh, be constructive. Um, you have to have healthy boundaries. Um, be there to listen. Tell them how much you love them. Um, it's not your fault you have the disease of addiction. However, you have a responsibility to change. Um, and that's something I truly believe. And a lot of people talk about, I had this hard, this hard, and this hard. Yeah, you did. And I want to honor your feelings. However, you have a responsibility to change. Uh, wow. I, I absolutely love that. I, I love it so much. And I just, I think back to, you know, my dad and all the hell I've put him through. I'm not just my dad. I mean, so many people in my life, much like you, I, I hurt everybody. I love my kids, everything. And, uh, I played victim for a long time. And I think that's a, a common factor. You know, there's no doubting that, you know, I had different traumas and, and things that happened as most of us do go through different hard times. But I love the fact that, you know, yes, it comes down. We have the responsibility as individuals to make that change um, and to own whatever it is going on with us. Um, Liam did want to say one more thing here too, said, uh, Oh, that's the second part. Brady, with what Graham was saying, the, those boys in Mimico are very respectful. I know them as well. Never touched uh, weed in my life and never had any of these boys push it on me, as he said, respect, which is really cool because when, you know, he goes back to boundaries, right? And I think that's that's a whole nother, we could talk a whole nother hour about boundaries. Uh, beautiful show boys and uh, Rustin back again. The power of decision is in, within us all. And, uh, 
I'll give I'll give Rustin the buzzer on that one. Well, actually, the horn. I, I have a buzzer too. It takes a second to kick in. See, but the horn is the horn is my favorite. But hey, um, I think we're gonna have to get you on again because when people come back and hear this, we're gonna have to to re revisit this uh, conversation. Would you come back on again and do this, Graham? Most definitely, my friend. It's um, I was feeling well about doing this today and um you you warm my heart i, I love you brady you, you're as they say you're a good egg my brother i love you too man and hey I, I to go back and i meant to bring this up earlier is like you always knew that that good person was inside of you right and i always felt that too i always felt that and it was just like oh i just wanted to be myself and i was so scared to let people know who I really was and what was going on with me. And when I made the decision to be completely transparent and I'm not saying I, everything I did in this last year was right by any means, but I was, I was pushing through and trying to find the real me. And I, I still have a lot of work to go to do and a long ways to go. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever been more sure of that as I sit here right now, but it's a, it's a healthy feeling. It's a very healthy feeling. So I want to say thank you to you, um, for coming on and, uh, sharing your story and your strength and man you're somebody that i really look up to admire and i hope that i can model my life after and uh yeah i feel i feel amazing after this and it's amazing amazing last question that i have for you though do you watch hockey nowadays yeah of course i do i i love junior hockey love yeah. junior hockey we're very uh, much alike. yeah it's um I love Sidney Crosby. I love Connor McDavid. I love Nathan McKinnon. It took me a while to like Ovechkin, but that was a Russian-Canadian thing. I'll leave that alone. The NHL, um, I admire their talent. It's just not for me. Yeah. I'll, go to, I'll go to Kitchener to watch a game on a Friday night, go out for dinner at the Schnitzel House, or when I go up to the Sioux, and I love minor midget hockey. Yeah. Um, I like the grassroots. I, I like the purity of the game. Um I admire the NHL. It's just not for me. So today, um, I'm missing junior hockey immensely because we were supposed to host the Memorial Cup this year in the Sioux. So it's and it was going to be the 36th anniversary of our 33 and 0 team. So um, a short answer. I took it very long winded, but yeah. I, Man, we're not in a rush here. We can we can talk. There was something else that I wanted. Now I was thinking about asking you too. Oh yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit, and we'll save it for next time. Your your time with Team Canada. We didn't mention it. You did. You did have some international experience, and uh, that must have been pretty cool, putting on the red and white. Yeah, I, I spent some time with the Olympic team. Um, it was what I was trying to make my comeback. Um, so I wasn't at the top. I was near the end of my near the end of my game, but it was there's nothing but pride wearing the Maple Leaf. I was at two World Junior training camps. The first year I got cut, I understood. The second year, it, it broke my heart. It got cr cut Christmas Eve, so... Um, I've had the the Canadian Maple Leaf on, on my chest, you know, with three different teams on three different occasions. So something uh, I hold very dearly for sure. I'm a yeah. proud Canadian. Yeah, brought up a proud Canadian. My uncles, <coughs> cousins all fought different wars. So I'm a big supporter of our troops. So it's, there's nothing but respect for our country. Yeah. And I'm with I'm, I'm with you, man. A lot of our views are the same. And I think, you know, I can see myself being much like you. Yeah, like in tw give me 23 years, 24, because I'm going to honestly, I got to start again. Like, if you really want to talk about a clean date, it's it's going to have to be that day that Jim Thompson was on my podcast, in my opinion. And um, there's other things that I have going on as well. I mean, I'm still on some medication um, for my addiction, but I'm almost done. I'm 
I'm slowly working off that too. And uh, just one of these things, man, I'm just, uh, I'm grateful to be alive and, and grateful that I've met you. And um, thank you, man. Like seriously, thank you. And uh, your, your mom, your, your daughter, your girlfriend, they're all, and everybody you get to meet at work, they're all very lucky to have you uh, in their lives. And I hope you know that. Well, <clears throat> well, thank you for the kind words. I'm very blessed today, my friend. Very blessed. Hey, Graham, thank you so much. I can't wait to do this again uh, in the near future. And I think you're, you've touched a lot of people tonight. And uh, I can't say thank you enough. Okay. I can't wait till we do it again. We'll stay in touch, my friend. Two minutes, for looking, two minutes for looking so good, Brady. You, you, get, yeah, two, you get two, five, and ten. You're gone. Game is conduct for looking so good. Bones has left the building. There you go, brother. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. <laughs> See ya. Wow, guys, that was a that was a great conversation. And you know what? When I started the podcast, this is these are the conversations that I envisioned having. And I've had some. I've had some. Don't get me wrong. I've had great guests. We've had great conversations. But when you can bring a guy like Graham on, and uh, for me especially, somebody that is still battling every day, um, you know, myself essentially, and I'm still trying to find my way. And, you know, have a guy like that to look up to, it's, uh, it feels really good. And I mean, it puts a lot of things into perspective um, for myself personally. And I feel that, you know, this conversation is going to help a lot of people. And uh, if you're struggling, you know, and you feel hopeless, like, I get it. And I, I don't have the easy answer. There is no easy answer. And I think that's, that is the answer is that it's not going to be easy. It's certainly not going to be easy. And I know from my past experience, anytime I've ever really felt good or felt like I accomplished anything, well, guess what? It wasn't easy. So don't give up on yourselves. Don't give up on yourselves. There's a, a number of individuals that I've been talking to over the last little while that I know are struggling, that are battling their own addictions. Uh, I would never put them on the spot. Um, it's all confidential. You guys know who you are. You maybe don't know each other, but you know who I'm talking about if you're watching this, listening to this. And one of the individuals has uh, made the decision to go to treatment. And his, uh, his wife or girlfriend actually reached out to me the other night and left me a message and said, hey, I just want to say thank you. So-and-so is uh, blown away that somebody that doesn't even really know him cares so much because I take the time to, to talk to him and and uh, there's a couple guys like that. And, you know, it's, it's a battle. It's a battle. And I think this individual making the step, the choice to go to treatment is going to be the best decision for him. And I know you've already been, but that doesn't mean that this time won't be different. Uh, one day at a time, sometimes one moment at a time. And, you know surrounding yourself with those right people people places and things are a huge part of my life where do we give our energy to where do we give our time to what are we watching what are we listening to it all plays a huge part i want to get to one comment at the top from the beginning i love you too taylor i don't know if you're still watching uh but to the bully that was bullying taylor she was so mean we don't have time for that if you're a parent, do me a favor, check in on your kid's social media, 
check in with your kids, see how they're doing personally at school. Maybe they're being bullied. Um, certainly make sure that they're not bullying. And yeah, I mean, I think to all the people that I know who have been bullied and, and there's an individual that I've talked to as well that we had to address bully on Instagram. The effect that we can have on others' lives is, is ex can be extremely dangerous if you're saying or doing the wrong things. And I, I know firsthand from my experience and from the things that I know that often the case when someone's being a bully, it's because they have their own issues. But that doesn't always mean that knowing that makes it any easier for the person being bullied. Be kind. Be kind to everybody. I challenge everybody right now, just like I did on Facebook this morning. Tomorrow, whenever you're watching, listening to this, step out of your comfort zone if it makes you uncomfortable. Do something kind for somebody without expecting anything in return. You might find out that it feels pretty darn good. And you might just change a life. So there's a little challenge. Before I go, if you want to... Get any puck support swag. I'll show you who's in my toque. I got Wade Belak in my toque today. Where is it? Hold on. There it is. Names are in the toques as well. Rest in peace, Wade Belak. We never forget any of those individuals that we've lost. Todd Ewan in my shirt. The list always seems to be growing. There's a picture of all of the names in our database. And there's a couple more that I need to add, unfortunately. If you know of anybody in the hockey community that we've lost to suicide or addiction related issues, or that lived a rough life and they're no longer here, please reach out to us and let us know so that we can honor them the right way uh, through puck support. They're never going to be forgotten. We're building the webpage to uh, have individual in memories of all with the permission of the families, of course. It's uh, this is what keeps me going every single day. This is what gets me out of bed. This is what I see when I'm working in the puck support workshop. And there's no reason why I shouldn't be on that picture, too. And I know how much this life is a gift. And that's not just for me. If you're watching this, if you're listening to this, you're alive. What a gift. What an opportunity. If there's something you want to do, there's something you're wanting to get, whatever experience that is, go after it. Because nobody's going to come give it to you. If you fall down and you fail, pick yourself back up. Try, try again. That's what I've learned. If I didn't try again, I don't know where I'd be. I'd be in the ground. I do know where I'd be. That's a lie. I do know where I'd be. I'd be in the ground. So keep trying. Whatever it is, whatever you want to get after, go. Just go and don't look back. If you're struggling with mental illness or addiction, please reach out. You're never alone. I swear to God, you're never alone. If you want to reach out to me, you can do so by email brady at pucksupport.com. If you need assistance from a professional, because I am not one, not yet, Hopefully in a couple of years time, I'm going to work towards that. Reach out to any of your local professionals, or you can reach out to Sandra at pucksupport.com. We're continually building the team of 
professionals and individuals who want to get involved with puck support pucksupport.com if you want to support us if you want a toque or a hat a hoodie a t-shirt with one of these names hidden away we don't play on names so it's all random unless we have a request from a family member but it's all random i pick it out of the box i press it onto the shirt the hat whatever it is and uh Part of the proceeds go to our mental health and addiction fund. The rest of the money, nobody's making a dollar off of puck support. We've done fairly well for the one month of sales. Uh, all the money goes to grow the organization. We're currently working towards getting our charitable status and building this organization so that we can one day provide people with jobs that they want to do. But most importantly, we can really help as many people as possible. That's it. It's February 24th. Hope everybody wore their pink shirt today. It's anti-bullying day. Thank you to everybody who's out there doing the great work. Wherever you're doing it, guys like Graham Bonner, um, making a difference in the world. All our first responders. My dad, the retired firefighter, 35 years of service. All the firefighters out there. Lots of love for you guys. And to everybody that supported my journey, you know who you are. Thank you so much. To all my family members back home, it's been close to four years that I have not seen you, but I am very grateful that we've now reestablished relationships. I can call and you know I'm not calling asking for money. <laughs> I'm just calling to talk. And well, that's not entirely true. I have had to add my dad helped me a couple times, but hey, at least it's for good things now. And uh, my dad was on the golf course today in his puck support hat. Shout out to my dad out there golfing today. I got four feet of snow outside my front door. Dad, I can't wait to get on the golf course with you so you can kick my butt all over the golf course. I think I beat you once or twice because you had a bad arm, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. Brooklyn and Brody, if you're watching or listening, just know that I'm always thinking about you. I love you. I miss you. And I will never, ever give up. Uh, not if it's tomorrow, five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years from now, my heart will yearn for, is yearning for the day when we can be reconnected. And I, I pray multiple times every single day that that's going to happen. If everybody could say a prayer for everybody out there. You know, I always pray for all those struggling, those that are homeless, those that are addicted. I pray for them every day. I, I know what it's like, but I also know that there's hope. So never, ever give up on yourselves. Be kind, be grateful, and remember, have a great day if you so choose. Thank you.